right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. You want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, if you're not there already, chapter uh, 14. We're going to look today at verses 20 to 33. This will be part, part 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians 14. But before we get started, let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. My Father and my God, we come before you this morning, Lord God, thanking you for getting us all here safely. We pray for those that may still be on their way, Lord God, that you would watch over them and give them safe travels, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for the, for the warmthness of this building, dear Lord, that you've provided, Lord God. Uh, we, we don't want to take it for granted, and we thank you for it, dear Lord Father. We thank you mostly, Lord God, for uh, your spirit, for our salvation, dear Lord, for adopting us, dear Lord. And as we come here today, dear God, and look at your word, I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate it by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, I pray that each one of us come here this morning, Lord God, uh, to gather, to assemble in Sunday school and in the sanctuary later, Lord God, with an expectant heart, with an expectant attitude, Lord God, to hear from you, not to hear from men, but your, your vessels that you've chosen uh, today to speak your truth, Lord. So I pray that the words I speak are not my own, that they will be yours through me, and that you would deal with each one individually. Have your way with us today as we commit this class to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So just to kind of recap and have a little framework for this morning. Uh, the purpose of the spiritual gifts, if we... Uh, remember, is for the common good, the Bible tells us. The common good of the body of Christ. I'm taking this little, these little excerpts actually right out of uh, gotquestions.org. So, I get no credit. Right? But these are things we all know. Uh, the gifts are, again, to promote the common good. Uh, they are to build up the church and prepare us each for the works of service, uh, Ephesians tells us, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 4. And each one of us, each person, upon receiving the gift of salvation in uh, Jesus Christ, uh, we've received the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit as a seal of salvation. Again, Ephesians 1. The Spirit then gives to each one of us, to each Believer, certain gifts from our God and to do the work of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Making sure you listen, that's all. I mean, you know this, but again, just to kind of frame it. Uh, no matter what the gift, its purpose is to edify and mature the church and to glorify God in the service to others. So, in no way are the spiritual gifts to be used to draw attention to oneself or to put on a showy display. This was part of the problem in the church at Corinth. Members were exercising their spiritual gifts to edify themselves without regard to what anyone else was doing. And we read about that in the beginning of chapter 14. And their methods had resulted in chaos in the church service. They need a reminding that the greatest gift of all is what, church? Love. Right? The 
greatest gift of all is love. And without love, none of these other gifts are profitable for anyone. Not everyone receives the same gift, and the gifts God gives to his people are divinely placed for the good of the body of Christ. It's not for ourselves as individuals, but it's for each other. Amen? So with that, we'll read the text for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that they are mad? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that only God, excuse me, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Amen. And Mike mentioned that, Pastor Mike mentioned that last week. He started off, and actually the chapter closes with that. Pastor John will have that next week, that we do not have a God, we do not serve a God of confusion. We serve a God of order, a God of structure. So, Paul again is communicating in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, really that the ministry uh, of the word, right? Talking about prophecy, talking about bringing the word, right? Uh, the ministry of the word is most vital in the edification of the church. And we see that also all over the scripture. most popular verse is 2 Timothy 3.16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And one of my f- favorite preachers, uh, Michael Sabato, quoted him last week, said this, to be edified or built up means that I am strengthened and encouraged and motivated to be more like Jesus and live this Christian life. I thought that was an excellent uh, definition. More specifically, edification occurs through the teaching and by the hearing of God's word. Edification 
is why we're here today. Amen? That should be the reason why we come to church on Sunday, to the service and in Sunday school, to be edified, to edify one another. And we assemble in an orderly manner. And the reason I bring that up is because Paul, that's part of the reason why he was addressing the church at Corinth. Things had gotten a little out of hand. I think the emotional side of things took over a bit, and it was getting a, a little chaotic in the, during the church service. And we'll talk more about that as the text reveals it as we go through it. The church had become disorderly uh, in their assembly, really during their worship time. Uh, and that is why Paul, again, has been and continues to give correction and to give instruction uh, to the church. So I, kind of, I broke down this passage in, in two sections. One, one part is tongues and unbelievers. And the second part is orderly worship. So we'll start off uh, with tongues and unbelievers. So Paul, really in verse 20, the way, in my own words, is he's saying grow up. He's telling them to grow up. Uh, this, this is not childlike faith that we hear in the Bible that Jesus spoke about. Come to me as innocent, as receiving my truth and, and believing in it. What they're doing here is not the childlike faith that we've come to know from Scripture. He's saying you're thinking and you're acting like children. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet an evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. So I'm going to ask you this. It's the question's on your outline. What does it mean, what does Paul mean for you and I to be an infant in evil, but mature in our thinking? What does that mean? What do you think it means? I'm like John. I'm okay with awkward silence. Focus on Christ and not things of the world. Focus on Christ and not things of the world. Very good. Anyone else? I think like if you're mature and evil, you know, you can be tricked and tempted, but you should be able to, you know, if you have the spirit in you, then, you know, you can make the right choice. So be more mature in your thinking. So when you are tempted, think about it and don't make the wrong choice. Okay. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. I think infancy applies inexperience. When you're an infant, you're learning everything brand new. So in regards to doing evil, you know, don't be a pro-life. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't, don't be so experienced in it, but be more mature, which implies your season, completion, perfection, etc. In your thinking, be more experienced so that you remember Yes. In doing. It's a very good way of putting it. Be more experienced based on what you've learned, what you've been through, uh, been there, done it, all right? Be more mature. Be more experienced. Go ahead. Can I say those, those two thoughts don't, they're not mutually exclusive. Not be infants and evil, but be mature in thinking. Like Gabe said, if you're an infant and evil, you're not that new to it, but <laughs> infants grow up. So if you're mature in your thinking, you'll stay an infant and evil. Right. You know, an infant needs to touch the fire before they see it's hot. A mature person knows, don't touch that thing that's hot. Mm -hmm. So we want to stay infant. An infant's going to grow up unless you have mature thinking that lets you stay an infant. Right. 
in evil, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So let's go through that, uh, through this passage. So um, when it comes to evil things, he says, be innocent, right? Be like babies. In other words, be naive regarding evil, Paul's, Paul's saying. Be naive regarding evil, but don't be naive about evil, right? We have a passage, if someone could read, it's on the outline, Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd and serpents and innocent as doves. Right. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. So, again, to... You want to say something? Okay. Um, there is... To be, to be wise. To be wise from experience. To apply our knowledge is wisdom, right? As we grow in, grow in the knowledge of, who, of, of what we are to do as believers and what is required of us. But I made me, it made my thoughts go to, you know, as pastor was preaching... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and he's talking about you know, the principalities of the air um, there's, there is no need to, to delve into evil so we can refute it what I mean by that is as, as just a little sidetrack as pastor was preaching that there may have been some people who, who kind of take the position well the more I know about the evil one the better off I am the better I can prepare myself personally I don't agree with that the more I know the word of God as things come up I use that as Jesus did with the temptation when, a practical example when I, many years ago many many years ago I worked for a bank they sent us to a security uh, briefing and uh, things to look for you know like uh, if somebody enters with a, a bandana across their face you know be on alert uh, stuff, uh, stuff like that. Just keep an eye out for suspicious people. Well, but one of the things they said is, is the counterfeit money. How do I identify counterfeit money? They said, you, you're never going to learn all the different counterfeits. Learn what the real one is. And then when you have something counterfeit, you'll, buy, you'll be able to identify it as such. Okay? So just a little bit of a sidetrack there. The, uh, the, the Corinthians really have been preoccupied uh, with the temporary gifts. They've really been, been stuck on them. I think that's why Paul refers to them as childish ways. They haven't moved on. They haven't moved uh, past that. Um, mature, again, here, I believe is, re- is referring, as Gabe said, to reaching adulthood. It's not that you've, we've arrived or that they would arrive at something, but to be an adult in our thinking, in, in their thinking. That's, I believe, what Paul means. Again, not to arrive, meaning not to have all knowledge, okay, but to take what you know, take what you've gathered, take what you, we've experienced, and use that. Use that to think of an adult, right? We're to make better decisions. We're, we're to also act a little bit differently, a little bit better, right, as, as adults, not as children. We can all think of things we did as a kid. We think of now. It's like, oh, why did I do that? Or I would never do that today, right? Because we've grown. We've matured. Same concept, all right? He says, you know, he's telling them, but you know better when it comes to these things. I've taught you better. You know better. I think Paul is sad here. 
whether he's upset, I mean, he's upset, I don't know if he's angry, if he, I, I know as a leader, as a teacher, that would, that would make me sad, right, that, that you, you've taught, or even the ministry here as a whole, you try to teach, and, and sometimes people just don't get it, and they keep making the same mistakes over and over again, all right, it makes you sad, it doesn't make you angry. So I, I see Paul here even with a little bit of sadness, compassion uh, towards the church. But he still has to be firm with them. It still doesn't stop him from telling them the truth and what they really need to know, what's the best for them. He says, your childish, really, your childish, like a paraphrase, in spiritual things, in godly righteousness, is where you should have understanding. But instead, you have a better understanding of living ungodly lives. Really, I think, he, I think really that comes from them ignoring the edification of the body that Paul has really been trying to drive home here. They've been ignoring that. Their primary interest was not in pleasing God or their, or their brothers and sisters, but to please who? Please themselves, right? How do I look? I look like, ooh, I can do all this. I can do these things. I can speak this way. Okay? It's all selfishly motivated but again as we mature again it makes it makes me go to a, a relationship between a man and a woman a, a courtship again as as we embark on a courtship a young man and a young woman it may be for a selfish reason but if god would bless that relationship and it's of him that relationship should grow we should become le- what i mean by that is we should become less and less uh, selfish, more and more selfless. I should want more and more to show my love for Sharon, all right? Whether it's in courtship or even in marriage, that should happen. So again, maturing, we're constantly maturing. Not that we ever arrive, but we're always maturing. Perhaps their immaturity was, was due to them allowing themselves to be led by their emotions, all right? We see that, you know, in the church today, you know, being led by how things feel. I don't believe that's true here, but we can see that in the body as a whole. There are a lot of churches uh, that do that. And, again, sometimes people think, I need to, to know the enemy so that I can defend against the enemy. And uh, I believe part of what Paul's saying is, no, just continue. Continue to edify, continue to be edified. And grow and use your gifts to edify one another. Now, verse 21. If you, when I first read this, it's like, okay. Uh, it's, Paul writes, in the law it is written. Again, he's, he's, he's uh, referencing Isaiah 28. By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. So if you were to stop right there, how would you interpret that? In the Lord is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. How would you interpret that? It, it's referring to the day of Pentecost. It's referring to the day of Pentecost? But that's what the, if, if I remember correctly, that's what the original prophecy was. Okay. That's a good... I think when Paul an intelligible when, uh, addresses the Israelites, when they're, he calls them my people or this people, Oftentimes, when they're disobedient, maybe in reference to the other believers, but I believe it's to be disobedient as 
Speak up. I, I just cannot hear. It, so I'm sorry. My, in my maturity, I've decreased in the ability to hear. So. It said, Indeed, he will speak to his people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. So I look at it again. I mean, obviously, you, you think of how hard it is to decipher some, somebody speaking a language you don't know. But if you ever, I mean, not to be crude or rude to anybody that may have a stuttering issue or whatever. But if you're trying to listen, it's hard to follow with that as well because uh, words can get jumbled. So it, it, it's, it's very hard to decipher, first of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say it's more like that. Yeah, I don't think they're productive words, though. Yeah. No, I would no. say it's more like In Amos, he says, I brought you light, I brought you this, I brought you this, and you didn't return to me. And that's I think right. that's this. Strangers are going to come in, invade you. Mm-hmm. not preach words to you that you can't understand, but you're going to be under submission to people you can't even understand. And trust me, that's my way of talking to you mm-hmm. you don't listen to any other way. Exactly. And that's what it is. I mean, when I first read this, I was like, I didn't know what it meant. I had to go back and look at Isaiah and study it a little bit. Because, because Paul continues, and even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Because originally when you read that, it says, okay, you're going to send people in to speak a different language, but they're still not going to listen to me. So... What are you doing, God? And that's what it is. It's judgment. Uh, it should, it, it's in the outline there, kind of summarizing what John and Gabe had just said. You know, God was telling Israel that they would be judged because of their unbelief and rejection of his word that Isaiah had given them. Since Israel did not listen to the word given in their own language, he would have the nation of Assyria, who spoke a language they didn't understand, overtake them. So that kind of sums up what, what these gentlemen just said. Therefore, these unknown tongues were not God's blessing, back to Corinthians, were not God's blessing on a faithful congregation, but just the opposite, his judgment. Okay, just hang on. So Paul, now using Isaiah uh, as an example, is in effect saying those Corinthians who were preoccupied with tongues would take the position that tongues is truly evidence of the presence of God, correct? But, Paul continues by saying, no, you are wrong. So just follow me as we go. Kind of connecting dots now, alright? Verse 22a, the first part of verse 22. So then, or some version says, it follows. So then, that tongues are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. So the word sign 
is the same word used, Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So again, signs, even as the Gospel of John, primarily points to the deity of God. Right? It, it, it points to deity. And the word for sign there is, and the same in First Corinthians, in Second Corinthians 12, 12, is Simeon. I believe it's on the outline. And what I learned is that Simeon is a noetic word. Well, what's a noetic word? I don't know what a noetic word is. A noetic word meaning a word that is relating to activity of the mind, the intellect. In other words, I see something, or I hear something, or I read something, and in my mind, I draw a conclusion. I am convinced. All right, so that sign causes me to arrive at a conclusion. All right, it's proof. Same, same word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. This Paul saying it's a sign of how I love you, how I care for you, how I embrace you, how you are my children. It speaks of that, it points to that, it's proof, it's evidence. That's what a sign is. So then, again, that tongues are a sign not for believers, right, but for unbelievers. Why, why don't believers need a sign? Why don't believers need proof? Very simple, right? That's another thing I got out of this. As I was reading this, it's like Paul saying, duh, use your brain. This is common sense. Connect all the dots. What I've been telling you, look look at how simple and easy this is. Or it can be. A believer, right, already believes. They're convinced. But Paul continues, a sign, not for believers, but to unbelievers so how or why is that does anyone want to go ahead I don't want to jump the gun go ahead jump the gun okay I understand this better if I separate unbeliever from unsaved Mm -hmm. unsaved means you have to accept Christ as your savior unbeliever means you're not going to so if we're going to, I think, correctly define sign, not as a positive thing, that's what people would say. Mm-hmm. It's a sign to unbelievers to bring them to Christ. No, they're an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. They're not going to believe. So right. that's why when they hear it, they're like, what are you, out of your mind? It's just one more reason for them to not believe, and that's judgment on them. That's right. But I don't think it's a sign to the unsaved, because the unsaved could potentially be a believer, they just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be edified by that prophecy, because it will bring them to Christ, just as much as we who are already believers right. are edified. Right, by the prophecy, correct. Like you said, you're getting that kind of a little bit ahead right now yeah. with the tongues, right? Right. Exactly. So, Paul does agree that tongues are a sign, right? But again, in a, in a negative way. We said it was like a judgment, okay? And again, we'll come back to the rest of uh, verse 22. I want to jump ahead to 23 to kind of put this together, hopefully. So again, Paul is referring specifically to tongues being used, being spoken during a church service. Okay? We have to, we have to keep that in mind. 
All right? It's not out in the mission field somewhere. It's during a church service. We have to understand the context. We'll be reminded of it. I'm not saying we don't understand it, but just remind ourselves where, he's go- where he is with this. Verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, Sunday service, right? And all speak in tongues. What does that mean? Everyone is speaking in tongues. And ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are mad? So Alvin, in your own words, how would you describe that verse? How would you summarize that verse? Right? If everyone was speaking in tongues, right? He's talking specifically of the assembly. If an unbeliever were to enter, if a visitor were to come in, and they heard everyone speaking in another language that they couldn't understand, the first common sense thing is, how would they hear the gospel? How would they hear the truth of Scripture? How will they learn of Jesus Christ and Him crucified? I believe this is why Paul is referencing the passage in Isaiah. That this sign for them will not result in life, but can we say in judgment? Not that it's in us to save people, I understand that, but we are to proclaim the gospel in a clear way, in a simple way. This is not that. This is not that. And, he'll, and they'll say that these people are mad. right? That word mad, a frenzied rage, besides oneself and anger. Like, can you believe this? Like, what is this? What the heck is going on here? All right? So now, are we okay? Are we so far on the same page? We can go back to the rest of verse 22. All right? Again, this sign is of no benefit. It's of no blessing to the hearer because it cannot be understood. It's not a clear and simple proclamation of the word of God, of the gospel. Verse 22, the second half, now Paul switches to prophecy, right? He says that uh, so then, beginning beginning of verse 22, so then that tongues are a sign for believers... Not for believers, but unbelievers. Now, the rest of 22, but prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but those who believe. All right? Familiar passage. Uh, could someone read on the outline? 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the but to us will be the power of God. Alright. So, prophecy, the revelation of God's word is for who? Believe it. We come here Sunday morning, Sunday service, is for you and I. It's for the followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not to say someone who isn't saved can't come here. Right? And we'll, we'll get that. Alright? Prophecy is for our benefit as children, sons and daughters of the King. Next, Paul makes an important distinction, again, between tongues and prophecy. He continues. He says it's better to prophesy. Verse 24. But if all prophesy, rather than somebody walks in and everyone's speaking in tongues, but everyone is prophesying, instead of everyone speaking in tongues, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man comes in, enters, what does it say? 
He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. So, the prophecy or teaching of God's word, again, is specifically for you and I, for the children of God. But when the word of God is being preached and spoken, it brings what? Paul said, it brings conviction. Conviction is the exposing of our sin, right? It's the exposing of our sin. It reproves the hearer, all right? But if an unbeliever hears it, if God has chosen that person, at that moment, God can put his spirit, right? And draw that person, he can illuminate God's word, and that person is exposed to their sin. Amen? He says, he, speaking of the unbeliever, is convicted by all. He is called into account by all. By all that is said. Alright? All that is spoken. All that is heard. And again, this is God's spirit who has brought this conviction. Causing one to repent. Amen? Repent of their sins. But then look what Paul says next. Verse 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. Again, conviction. The sinful secrets of the heart would be laid bare. Now that's true of the believer or the one who doesn't know. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, what will happen? He will fall on his face and worship God. Again, speaking of the unbeliever specifically here, that person will confess a faith in Christ. They will repent. Because he says, declaring that God is certainly among you. Again, he was speaking about the unbeliever who came in. So a person who doesn't know Christ, hasn't come to faith, right, is made aware of his unrighteousness. He recognizes that he falls short and that and they cannot resist the call of God, thereby repenting and identifying to be in Christ. And then the people will testify that God is real and God is with them. So, Paul has been making the effort to correct how the Corinthian church worshipped together. He scolded and corrected them concerning the Lord's table back in chapter 11. Here in 14, people were speaking in tongues, people were prophesying, And this was all happening at the same time while everyone is assembled. Next, alright, so Paul mentions all that, but next Paul appeals to the Corinthians to use common sense, I'm going to say. To use common sense. Okay, what what I've been saying in comparison to how you've been conducting yourselves, I think to kind of paraphrase what Paul is saying here. What I've been saying in comparison to how you've been conducting yourself. So, orderly worship, and we'll close out this portion of chapter 14, verse 26. Paul says, what is the outcome then? Again, everyone's speaking. What then is the conclusion, brethren? Paul says simply and clearly, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done 
for edification. If I would be so bold as to insert a but there. But, or remember, let all things be done for edification. Remember what I've told you up until now. How does that line up with what you're doing? Again, Paul draws the attention of the reader and reminds us also to check ourselves. Um, We ought to be making sure what we do lines up with Scripture and our motive is correct. However God has gifted each one of us that we are doing it, not for our own glorification, but for God's glory, but for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? And it doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. We all play a role in that. All right? The the security team, we'll start with those guys. They're right outside. They ensure a safe environment for us, that the word of God will come forth. All right? They're part of our protection. So there is nothing too small, and there is nothing that's... Everything is great, right, in God's economy. Amen? So, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Again, the reminder. Paul said it earlier in the chapter. But here, specifically, Paul is addressing, again, the Corinthian church and their self-centered giftedness and how their worship was replaced with confusion and chaos. Verse 27, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it's like, all right, if you're going to do this, if anyone speaks in a tongue, if anybody's going to do these things, here's the structure, here's the outline, all right? It should be by two, or at the most three, okay? Apparently, like we said, there were more than one. It says all, they said all, all right? There shouldn't be the most two, the most three. He says, and each in turn. Not, ever, not at, all at once, not all, if there's three, not three at the same time, but each one take a turn. And one should interpret, must interpret. Okay? There's, otherwise, there's no benefit, there is no edification being accomplished. If that's your gift, I'm not saying you, okay? If that's someone's gift, am I using it in a way that builds up my brothers and sisters? Because if no one's interpreting it, it's getting as far as the ceiling. It's not, it's not going anywhere. Paul said without interpretation, there was to be no speaking. Okay? Look, look, look what he says in the next verse. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silence. He must keep silent in the church. Okay? So, if you have the gift, and you, you, you're about to speak in tongue, in a tongue, if there's no interpreter, be quiet. Right? Very simple. It's, that, that's what he's saying. Be quiet. I, that doesn't go on here. I get it. But again, just for us, I know this, this is sometimes a sensitive situation because we know people and, you know whatever it is, and we're kind of tiptoe around it. But this is God's Word. I mean, to somebody like me, the way my brain works, it's, it's very laid out, cut and dry, line by line. If you're going to do A, then it has to be followed by B. Otherwise, you don't do it. Right? Verse 28 again, But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Alright, if that's how, how I pray, how I... Alright, when you're in your prayer closet... 
When there's no one else, right? He's not talking about when he says quiet, it's not a little murmur, right? That while everything else is going on, you're. When I say you are, I'm not talking about you. Please understand that. <laughs> um, if that's how you speak to God, that's how you pray, that's how you pray. I'm not going to say that's wrong. Paul's saying if you're going to do it, there's no interpreter, keep it to yourself, keep it between you and God. All right? Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others pass judgment. Again, only two or three, he's saying. All right? But he's saying, let the others pass judgment. Evaluate or weigh what is said. Someone grab 1 John 4 1. It's on the outline. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Amen. Thank you. Test everything. Don't, I'm telling you. Don't believe what I say, word for word, what John says, what Mike says, what Pastor Eric says. It's, 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 it's flattering that you would, but it's dangerous. Because very easily, we could have a misunderstanding and maybe speak something incorrectly, as much as we desire not to. But it's up to you, all right, to be our brethren. All right, and point that out if it ever were to happen. Okay. A quick side note: I remember when uh, this was before Pastor Eric came, and we had a rotation of the elders preaching, and Ray Cabrera was preaching, and I don't know if Gabe would even remember this. I do. His his mic went out. So whether it was Gabe or whoever was over there, they handed me a mic and said, "Bring this to him." So I, I walked up there, kind of as much as you can kind of slide up there without people noticing you. And I go to hand him the mic, and, and Ray leans over the pulpit, and he's like, what did I say wrong? <laughs> right? But praise God that he has that humility. All right? Not to build Ray up, but his concern was for the Word of God. And that, that is our heart as, as teachers. But it's up to you to make sure we do it correctly. So that's why we do these classes, whatever, these Bible studies. Verse 30. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must be, keep silent. So if someone's bringing prophecy, speaking a, pro, a prophetic word, and uh, number two gets a prophetic word, what's supposed to happen? What does the text say? But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must what? Right? Okay? If one were prophesying, and then suddenly another who has received the revelation from the, word, from the Lord began to speak, the first one should stop speaking. So, that there would be no confusion. Alright? Now, this is written to the church at Corinth. Does this happen today? Does this does this happen today? No. 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 Okay. What is it that doesn't happen? We've received the, the Bible as a whole, so we now receive new revelation. New revelation, God. right? Pastor made a distinction: revelation and illumination, right? Revelation. The revelation was happening here because there was no written word, right? So that's why they have prophecy. 
So that was a legitimate thing. That was happening. We have illumination because we have the completed scripture. And the Spirit gives us understanding, right, to what God says. Amen? So, again, what Paul is writing here may not directly apply to a service today, although it may in some places, but not here. But we have to keep that in mind, all right? That we have completed Scripture, we have His Spirit, therefore we have understanding. There is nothing new, right, coming from God. There is nothing new. So again, at the writing of this letter, we didn't have the Scripture, and to close this out, kind of quick here, verses 31 to 33, Paul, Paul says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn, and all may be exhorted. Right? So if you're going to do this, do it this way. It makes sense. If there's two or three people talking at the same time, all right, people aren't going to get it. It's going to be confusion. Verse 32, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So, verse 32, If he's a prophet, having the spirit of God, Paul's saying, then he would yield to the one who had a revelation. Because he would understand that that man has a revelation. So he has to exhibit his self-control and choose to stop speaking. Alright? So there's, a, there's a, an order here. There's a structure here on how things are to happen. And that's exactly what it says in verse 33. Because, why? For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Right? We serve a God of order, not a God of disorder. So, for me, two things that I was reminded of with this, I don't know about you, was, one, God gave us a heart and God gave us a mind. They're supposed to work together. Okay? Jesus says, worship me in spirit and in truth. Worship me in your whole being, in your heart, with your whole being, and worship me in truth, with your mind, what you know about me, the truth I have given you in Scripture. Alright, so again, common sense. Common sense that we have. And the second thing is that each one of us has a gift. I said this the last time, or time before. And we should be using that gift in the capacity that builds up the body. And I may be bold to say, if I'm not doing that, I'm being disobedient to God. Again, it doesn't have to be a, a high profile or visible thing. Something that contributes to the edification, to the teaching of God's word. Something. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and we'll go off the service. Father God, thank you uh, once more for today. Thank you again for your word. Uh, thank you, dear Lord, that, again, just a reminder, dear Lord, um, that you have given us your spirit and the ability to understand your word, your instructions, Lord God, that you have chosen us, Lord God, for your honor and glory, Lord God. Help us, dear Lord, to uh, be disciplined, uh, dear Lord, in what we do and what we say. 
again, that it would be for the edification of the body. And Lord, that it would not be selfish. I know at times that I can even find myself just, just doing something and almost patting myself on the back, Lord. But thank you for showing me that that's wrong. Dear Lord, that's not why you've gifted us, dear It's for your purpose. It's for your uh, kingdom's advancement, Lord God. So we thank you for the blessing to be used as your instruments, dear Lord. I pray for the service to come. I pray for Pastor, Lord God, you give him a clear mind, a clear voice, that your spirit would reign in him and through him, and that we would receive your truth, Lord God, and may it go deep in our hearts, that we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.